If you would turn in your Bible with me this morning to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. We're going to read verses 10 through 21. I'm going to remind you to um, come out again this evening as we're going to have the installation, ordination services for our newly appointed elected elders and uh, deacons. And uh, that's, a, that's a big deal. And so I want to encourage you to, to join us tonight as we celebrate God's goodness to us and uh, the men that have been uh, elected and uh, will be placed in office or um, um, installed to a new term. So uh, that's this evening, and we'll be looking tonight at uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 as we just continue talking about uh, what it means to live as pilgrims in this world, and uh, so I want to encourage you to come out this evening. Luke chapter 13, we're going to begin reading at uh, verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for, for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Let's ask the Lord to bless us this morning as we come to the word. God in heaven, you've given this word, but we need your Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see, hearts to care. Uh, This is truth that you mean for us that you intend to use to build us up in the faith. And I pray that in these words we would see Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who sets us free. So bless us, Lord. We're depending upon your Spirit whom you've given. We move forward in confidence upon him in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a magnificent uh, story this morning that, if you've noticed, is packed with all the, the stuff of Uh, the human drama and the divine story of redemption we have here uh, on one hand all the suffering the sin the bondage that we uh, see in the world in which we live you don't need to be um, real observant to notice the sin and the suffering and the bondage uh, that's all around us and so you have here a woman who's been suffering for 18 years with this severe physical disability we have an arrogant religious leader playing his part who uh, with stereotypical ignorance and arrogance utterly fails to see Jesus completely fails to see the glory of God and what God has come to do in Christ 
for men and women. And we have the evidence then of satanic bondage, physically in the woman, spiritually in this leader. Um, and that we, hit, we have here exactly the reason Jesus came to this world. He came to uh, enter into the strong man's house and bind him and destroy his works and set those the strong man himself had bound to set captives free. That's why Jesus came. And Luke tells us the story because he dearly wants you to see Jesus. He wants us to realize who this man is and why he came and why does it matter for, for your life and, and for my life. Uh, we've seen many miracles that Jesus has done, healing miracles, and you maybe have heard about the miracles of Jesus since you were a, a, a small child in Sunday school. But I want to uh, urge you this morning, beg with you if I, if, if I must, uh, don't miss this. Don't let this just be another story about something that happened a long time ago to some person you, you, you don't know, just another healing miracle. Because this is the story that is the essential story. Uh, God himself at work in the person of Jesus Christ. God come near uh, to this world and to your life to deliver you, to set you free. So let's see the glory of Jesus then as we go through this text and delight in what he's come to do. Um, you have an outline maybe before you. We're just going to break it into three easy to remember uh, parts here. The healing, the hypocrisy, and the hope. Uh, the healing and the hypocrisy and the hope. What we have as uh, Luke introduces the story, he sets the stage and shows that we, we, we find a woman with a great physical disability. Jesus was preaching in a synagogue. That was his, uh, that was his pattern. That's what he came to do. He said, I came to preach uh, the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. And so once again, we find Jesus in a synagogue. Interestingly, this is the last recorded event we have of Jesus uh, preaching in a synagogue. It's a sense of book and story. If you remember back in Luke chapter 4, Jesus first, uh, the first recorded instance, Jesus in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he read from Isaiah and um, read there, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Spirit has sent me, the Lord has sent me to proclaim good news, liberty for the captives, sight to those who are blind. Um, well, we're fine here at this bookend event, the last recorded um, message that Jesus gives in a synagogue, we find Jesus doing exactly what he said he came to do, uh, to set captives free. We don't know much about this woman. We don't, Luke doesn't tell us her name, doesn't tell us her age, doesn't give us her marital status. Uh, he wants us to see her need. Uh, she's not an old woman in the sense that she's not bent over simply because of age. Uh, Luke says the cause is a disabling spirit. I envision her somewhere in her mid to late 40s uh, at the most. Uh, she's she's a, a woman who's been under great uh, physical um, struggle and suffering for almost two decades, 18 years. It's a long time. Uh, this would be a condition where uh, she would be just simply bent over, not able to straighten herself. She would be constantly looking at the ground. It would affect every aspect of her life. Think about trying to converse with people when you can't lift your head to see them. Think about trying to eat, walking, sleeping. She would be in constant pain with none of the, the uh, medical assistance that we would have available to us today. She would be subject to a certain amount of ostracization. Uh, people wouldn't really know what to do with her, how to, how to be around her. They would be uncomfortable. Many would assume that uh, she was suffering this way because of some sin that she'd committed in her life, or maybe it was her parents' sin, but clearly someone had offended God and God was now uh, judging her. 
Uh, but there would be this, this, uh, this sense of being sort of on the, on the outside, on the margins of society as, as uh, people with disabilities so often are. We see the way people see. Uh, we, we relate to people according to their attractiveness, according to their ability. And uh, this woman doesn't have attractiveness, and she doesn't have ability. She has disability. Some of those of, of you who have your own disabilities, of course, we all do spiritually, but physical disabilities or, or have um, loved ones who do, you know what that's like, the, just that awkwardness of people not knowing how to respond. Well, think about being in her shoes then. She's on the outside of that. And so she comes to the synagogue that morning, possibly because she knew that Jesus was coming and and she had hoped to see him, but maybe it was just her practice. We don't know. What we, uh, Luke wants us to see is a person, a woman. She has a name. She's a daughter of Abraham and, and she's living a hard, painful life, a sad life in many ways, a hopeless life. She's not able to fix this. No one is able to fix this. It's just the way it is. But Luke also wants us to see not just a physical disability, but satanic engagement, satanic activity. Uh, The text makes clear, verse 11, she had a disabling spirit. And and in verse 16, Jesus says that she's been bound by Satan for 18 years. Uh, Alistair Begin says that the physical malady and satanic activity are somehow interwoven in the life of this woman. Uh, Luke doesn't explain the exact relationship between the physical ailment and the spiritual activity. Uh, but he just presents his diagnosis, and people in his, in his world wouldn't be surprised. Today, uh, if, if you would have diagnosed this woman as having a disabling spirit, people would scoff at you. It's not a disabling spirit. It's, it, this is a disease that has a very specific name. And we've got we to figure out what that disease is, and then we've got we to gotta cure it. Well, Luke is a doctor, but Luke understands, and the people of his, of his age understand, that the physical and the spiritual realms, uh, there's, there's interrelation, there's connection. And so anyone reading Luke would be very comfortable with this, with this diagnosis. Just, this is not the main point of the text, but I think it's worth noting that this story in some sense highlights the secular nature of our age. I'll be talking more about this in Sunday school this morning. But we live in a culture that has, in some sense, closed the door between the natural and the supernatural. That used to be a porous um, barrier. And so there was was a lot of interplay between the the natural world and the supernatural world. But in our secular day, we sort of closed that off. Heaven has become brass. And the secularizing forces of our culture have influenced us as a church. And so isn't it true that when we read the headlines in our newspapers, we see material facts, material data, physical realities. But how often do we stop to consider the the sovereign hand of God at work in the newspaper stories that we're reading? You see, there's nothing in the newspaper that will suggest that there's a sovereign God who is... uh, sovereignly intending his purposes in the world. It's not there. And so often when we come to the newspaper, we don't see it there either. We even, when we deal with, with, uh, with sin or temptation, I think we often um, do so as secularists in some way, that we, we see sin as a rule that's been violated or uh, something that we've done wrong, maybe a mistake even, uh, some people would say, that we've made. But it's pretty much related to the realm of this world. Well, I, 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 we, we, 
we don't see the horror then of it. Um, the actual offense and the evil of it. I saw a painting once that really displayed well the reality of sin. It was a painting of a beautiful, a scantily clad young woman. And, and she was a beckoning woman, a temptress. And she was looking straight at you out of the picture. But there was a mirror strategically placed so that you could see a re- her, her reflection in the mirror. And, and it was her except the face was a face of a screaming ogre. A screaming demon from hell, a wraith-like face, intending to devour. It was, it was about destruction, disintegration, death. That's the spiritual reality. You see, and that's the reality that Jesus would see as he, as he walked through this world. Jesus saw the spiritual reality that he was facing. He saw the demons. He saw the activity of the evil one. He saw the desolation. He saw the death. The disintegration. And this is why he came. He came to deal with the the fundamental spiritual uh, crisis of this world. The, The problem with this world is not that people were sick. It's not that people were handicapped. Those are symptoms of the problem. The problem with this world is that it is a world under the curse of death. It is a world that has fallen because of Adam and Eve, our first parents. And God himself placed this creation, his creation, under a curse so that in sending Jesus, he could redeem it and reconcile it to himself. But the world we live in is the way it is because of the curse and the sin of our first parents. And so Jesus has come, you see, to engage in this world. This woman's illness is not a reflection of her, of her own sin, but the reality of the world that she lives in. Just like cancer is not because you've sinned, you've done something wrong, but because you live in a fallen world. Diabetes, multiple cirrhosis, every other illness known to man. You see, there's a, Green says this, this woman's illness is a physiological expression rooted in a cosmological disorder. A physiological expression rooted in a cosmological disorder. Something is fundamentally wrong cosmologically. And that something is what Jesus Christ has come to deal with. And so we have here then also a miraculous liberty. You see, this miracle isn't then, it's not just about a woman being able to stand up again. We can focus on that, and it's beautiful, and, it's, and, it, and we need to see it and delight in it, but we need to delight in it because of what it pretends. Here we see God himself in the person of Jesus Christ coming into this very cursed, demon-filled world, coming to where we live, where she lived, in her brokenness, in her, in her bondage, coming to where we live in our weakness, our failure, our shame, and he comes to set things right. And so the miracle is beautiful because of what it promises. Notice, every word here is so wonderful. When Jesus saw her, do you realize how few people in that village actually saw this woman? She was just sort of there on the outskirts, in the shadows. Someone, if your glance fell on her, you would look the other way because it's not a pleasant thing to look. Or maybe the little children would stare and they'd be be told by their parents to turn away. People didn't see her, not, not really noticing her. 
But you see, Jesus notices precisely the people that the world doesn't see, the people who live in the shadows, shadows of shame, shadows of fear, shadows of guilt and failure and and deep loss and depravity in their own heart. And, and, And people live there hoping, in a sense, they're not noticed. And maybe she was hoping the same. Maybe she was late and coming, stands in the back, over, of course, on the woman's side. But Jesus sees her, and Jesus called her over. Woman, come here. Can you imagine? Maybe she had prayed many times that God would would help her. How many tears had she wept as her life was slipping away year after year? Be no surprise at all if she thought that God had abandoned her altogether because there was no help. There could be no help. But then suddenly this man, this teacher, publicly calls her to come forward. Come to me, he said. Come over here. And then Jesus said to her, this, this, this poor woman, crippled, bent over, everyone in the place is looking at her. Woman, you are freed from your disability. I think the way the text is set up says that. Jesus declared this before he performed it. He declared it before he revealed it. In, in his mind, in his heart, in his sovereign will, you see, he had purposed this. It was, in that sense, already written on the pages of divine providence before it was an evident fact. We could say it was an, an accomplished fact before it was an evident fact. Accomplished in the will of Jesus Christ. He saw her, he, he noticed her, he intended, he willed to set her free. And so if Jesus, you see, determines to set her free, she must be free. She will be free. Nothing can prevent it. And, and then Jesus, with a touch of his hand, brings that reality into view. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Now, if you would have been there or I would have been there, we would respond differently than we are this morning. <laughs> there would be, yes. That's, that's awesome. All the decorum of nice people in a synagogue would have disintegrated. Because this was unbelievable. This was God on the stage. God front and center. Doing what only God can do. In, through the simple word of Jesus, and he lays his hand on this woman, and, and the woman you've never seen upright in 18 years, now suddenly stands, and for the first time in 18 years, she is face to face with someone, and that someone is Jesus. And she glorifies God. I don't doubt if she glorifies God with singing and dancing the way that you, I don't care how Dutch you are, will do when you stand in the presence of Jesus. Right? You're going to. You're going to. You will not be able to help it. It's a wonderful picture of what salvation does to people. A wonderful picture of what what heaven is going to be like. People upright, face to face. You understand that? That the first face you're going to see is Jesus when you're finally set free, fully, completely? It's beautiful. But someone didn't see it that way. You think that the, you would think, you would hope that the religious leader 
would be leading the choir. That he'd be up front exhorting the congregation. Folks, we have got to respond to this. You would think that because he's the one who's supposed to be concerned about the glory of God and the welfare welfare of God's people, you'd think, you'd hope that he he would be there worshiping. He'd be there dancing. He'd be praising God. He'd be happy. Well, he's not. He's not happy at all. He's mad, upset. There is a there is a discongruity there that is is beyond words. For a religious leader to see what he just saw and to respond the way he does, notice he doesn't have the guts to rebuke Jesus, so he he rebukes the congregation. Listen, you people, there's six days in which work ought to be done. Why don't you people come on those days to be healed? As if, right, they could just stop by any day of the week and this man would perform the impossible for them. When in the world are they just going to show up and be healed like this? The reason this woman is healed is because Jesus is there. It's, this, uh, it's an incredible spiritual malfunction. This is a... This is a a four-cylinder engine with three cylinders blown. It's just wreckage. It doesn't, it, what happened to this guy? What is wrong with this guy? How in the world can you respond the way he responds to what he just saw? Well, you, what's wrong with him, you see, is, is what's wrong with every single human heart apart from the grace of God. This man is committed, you see, to a self-salvation project, and it was going very well. He was committed in his mind to the fact that if he kept the rules, if he kept the law, and if he pressured others to do the same, God would be pleased with him. That would be his righteousness. He's committed, you see, to that practice, that program of self-salvation and self-righteousness, and Jesus is messing it all up. Not only is Jesus himself breaking the Sabbath in this man's mind, but he's encouraging the whole congregation to break this man's Sabbath. You see? Right there in the middle of my synagogue. And he would have none of it. Friends, this is the offense of the gospel. This is the the offense of the gospel. There are things about the gospel that people might struggle to believe, but, but the one thing that offends is the truth Revealed in this woman that you can't save yourself. You see, this man is, is, believes in self-help theology. Many people believe in self-help Christianity. I go to church because it's a good thing to do. And I, and I try to raise my kids right because it's a good thing to do. And I try to keep my nose clean. I try to keep the laws, keep the rules. And I get offended quickly when others don't. But uh, you see, I'm, what, what I'm doing is is helping myself be saved, in a sense. It's a self-help theology, a self-help Christianity. God gives grace, but I accomplish it. And don't you dare mess with it. Don't tell me that there's nothing that I can do. Don't tell me that I am desperate like this woman was desperate. Don't tell me that if Jesus doesn't intervene in my life, I am eternally lost, and that all of my righteousness accounts for nothing. People don't like to hear that. They don't like to hear it at all. And so people with their self-help theology help themselves to an eternity in hell. Maybe that's you this morning. It's fascinating how Jesus just lays this whole thing wide open. I love how Jesus heals so often on the Sabbath. We have seven 
recorded instances, and we know that Jesus performed many other miracles and very likely many other on the Sabbath. Now, why did he do that? It was, it's a finger in the eye of these guys. He knows how they're going to respond. He knows every, and they never fail. It's like, haven't you guys seen this before? I mean, be, aren't you ready for it? Every time he does the miracle on the Sabbath and somebody goes off. So why does he do it? Because it's the right thing to do and because it inevitably reveals the hypocrisy of the religion of his day. The hypocrisy of the religious leaders. And so here comes Jesus, the very Son of God, the Lord of the Sabbath. And he heals, he works his mighty saving power on the Sabbath. And often right there in the synagogue, in public view of everyone, and it just rips open the ugly, self-righteous, legalistic hypocrisy of the Jewish religion of the day. And Jesus does it here again with these two questions. So the, the, the ruler of the synagogue is mad, and Jesus comes at him, and all the leaders there, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? In, in the terms that people would hear, it would sound like, so let me get this straight. It's perfectly fine for you gentlemen to provide mercy and kindness to your donkey on the Sabbath day, but not this woman made in the image of God. You're telling me, if I get this straight, that God doesn't mind if you show mercy to your cow, but he's upset if you show mercy to one of Abraham's daughters. Is that it? Now, how are you going to answer that? There is no answer to that. The question answers itself. The hypocrisy of these men is, is so ugly, it's so blatant. They believe that they're pleasing God as they stand there condemning the Son of God for doing the gracious work of God, setting free a daughter of God and all for the glory of God, and they have the audacity to rebuke Him. That's what religion will do to you. That's what your self-help theology, that's where it will bring you. Well, the religious leaders are forced to hang their heads in shame, and all the people rejoice at all the glorious things that were done by him. The whole congregation erupts. I bet some of them simply because they're so glad those guys finally got it. Somebody finally set them straight. Somebody finally had the courage to just rebuke them. But many of them undoubtedly saw the beauty of Jesus and the glory of God, and they delighted in the glorious things done by him. How does this text help us? Well, I think we find that in verses 18 through 21. It's a beautiful story. There's, I don't know if, if you're like me, there's something about a story like this that um, unsettles me. It maybe stirs up a, a longing of some sort. You, you see this woman, and she walks into the synagogue bent over and helpless, and she walks, up, she walks out standing upright, praising God, fully, finally, completely free. And there's a part of me that says, that's what I want. That's what, wouldn't it be great if you could come into the church building with whatever burden is on your heart, whatever brokenness is in your life, whatever relationship that's just in shatters, what, whatever uh, is making you anxious and fearful, whatever makes you uh, cry on your pillow at night all by yourself. Wouldn't it be great if you could walk in those doors with all of that and then walk out with all of that finally, fully, completely done away with? 
sign me up. Don't you want that? I hope you want that. I hope you're not so spiritually apathetic that you've just made peace with the brokenness. That you don't sense that there could be something more, that there, that there may be even in Jesus there's a possibility there could be something more. I hope there's that, that longing in your, in your life. Are you weak, heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? And don't you read a story like this and say, Lord, please just do that, do that to me. Do that in this relationship. Do that in this besetting sin. Change my mind. Heal my heart. I want to be free. I want to be free. Would you be free from your burden of sin? Because Jesus can only help people, you see, who want to be free from the burden of sin. Well, if that longing is there, how does this help? I want you to notice, and we'll wrap with this, but Jesus immediately moves into telling two parables. You have a a heading in your Bible uh, that says the mustard seed and the leaven that's not there in the original. This, verses 18 and 21, which the verses also aren't there, obviously, but this flows directly out of the miracle itself. He said, therefore, because he just accomplished this, and the congregation is rejoicing, and the woman is, is set free. Therefore, in connection, Jesus asks two questions. What is the kingdom of God like? To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? And he gives two images that are really necessary for us to see. With our brokenness and with our longing. It's a, a, he, he says it's, it's like a grain of mustard seed. This, this very small little seed, but you plant it, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows and grows and and finally when it's mature the birds of the air can find a home in its branches and the kingdom of God is going to be like that here Jesus is going to take a little seed and and put it in the ground and it's going to grow in Jerusalem and then spread to Samaria and then it's going to spill over into Asia Minor it's going to get to Rome and then up into Europe and and flow over into Africa and America and South America and China and India and it's going to grow and grow to Australia until the whole world is going to be covered the Bible talks in the book of Revelation about a tree that's branches are going to be spread and every nation is going to find shade in that tree. That's what the kingdom of God is like. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The kingdom is going to grow. It's going to grow with power. Jesus will build his church. But it's going to take time. It's going to take time. And we have the same concept in the picture of yeast. You just put a little yeast in the dough, you work it in, and it slowly makes its way through the entire dough, through all of it. The kingdom growth is intensive. It changes the whole nature of that into which it is inserted. But it, it takes time. You see, these two images call us to two things. On the one hand, great confidence in the power of God, the power of the kingdom, and the secondly, it calls for patience. Patience. See, we like, we really, we really hunger for, Lord, how long? You know, that's the most often said prayer in the Bible, how long? It's hard to wait. But, but we can wait, you see, with hope. Jesus wants you to know this morning that you can hope with confidence and you can hope with patience. You can hope with confidence that if you've come to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, if that mustard seed of faith has been planted in your, in your life, if, if the leaven of the gospel has been worked into your heart and, and it's beginning to do its work, if that's true of you, 
that, friend, you are free. You are free. Romans 8, 1 and 2, being, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Jesus has dealt with a cosmological problem for you. That, that your alienation from God and the death that was rightfully yours has been removed because of Jesus Christ. The most significant problem, the fundamental problem, the root problem that was destroying your life and manifesting itself in a thousand, thousand ways in your life, that fundamental problem is gone. It's dealt with. It's done with. You are a new creation. If any man is in Christ, he is not will be, is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The yeast will do its work. The mustard seed is going to grow. And no matter how the devil might oppose you, no matter how the world and the flesh might fight against you, you are free. But you have to be patient. You're really free. It's not a figment. It's not, it's not legal fiction. It's true. But we need patience. Romans 8, 23, 25. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. That's the groaning. You see, Paul names it. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is not seen, that is seen, is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees, what he has? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so throughout the Bible, you'll find God saying, Be patient, it's coming. It's coming. Your ultimate healing has already been accomplished in the will of God, in the mind and heart of Jesus Christ. It is already written on the pages of divine history. All that is left is for that decreed fact to be made an evident fact. And one day, friends, it will be. Jesus himself will touch you. And for the first time in your life, you will stand and see him face to face. And everything that's broken and everything that deals with bondage, every remnant of sin and disease and death, all of it finally, fully, completely falls away. How can you know that's going to happen to you? Because, friend, he's noticed you. He's called you. He's dealt with the curse that bound you with his own body and his blood. And so the question for you today is, have you been linked with him? Have you come to Jesus in that sense, has the seed of the gospel been planted in you? Is the leaven of the word of God at work in your life? And if not, you see, the beautiful thing is this is the day where you can have the experience of the woman. This is the day. This is the very day you could walk into this room this morning completely dead in your sin and under the bondage of the devil, and you can walk out of here free by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the truth of the gospel. That's what God has come to accomplish. And, and if you came in free already, but you had forgotten about it, and, and the, the, the truth and the hardships of this world had just wore you out and, 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 and worn you down, Jesus, friend, wants you to know that in him you have the victory. In him you are conquerors. And what he has started, he is going to finish.
And so hope with confidence and hope with patience until we see him. Amen? Let's pray together. Oh, God in heaven, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for his love for sinners. I thank you for his willingness to bear the curse, to die our death. I thank you that he rose again from the grave, accomplishing our victory, sealing our pardon. Oh, God, I thank you. You had no reason to see us no reason to choose us, and yet you've loved us. May we be sure of it. And Lord, for any here this morning who aren't, Father, I pray that your spirit would speak to them in words loud and clear that Jesus Christ stands ready to save them today. If they will bow their knee and turn away from all their self-salvation projects, confess they cannot help or save themselves and turn to Jesus Christ alone. Oh, Father, I pray the gospel would, would grow in our lives so it more and more is the defining characteristic of our life that we believe in Jesus Christ. We are confident that he has set us free and we have absolute a conviction that one day he's coming and we will stand upright and look him in the face. Oh, may that day come soon. In Jesus' name, amen.